inner relationship negotiations, like you feel like, oh, negotiate. There's this kind of connotation with it that there's a winner and a loser. Like it's a battle and we're going to see who wins. And I am like fiercely competitive. So it is really not good when my husband, who's my ally, is my counterpart in a mental battle. (laughs) Um, And so I think looking at it as more like this is just a discussion where we want to agree. It's like, oh, okay, that's not so bad. Like, I do want to agree. That is my goal. (laughs) Like, we both can win in this. It's not a competition. And that's a lot of how I work with people with their salary negotiations, right? Like, it's not a competition. You want to have a good working relationship with this employer, and they want to have a good working relationship with you. Like, it's a relationship. It's not a battle. Hola and hello friends. Welcome to the Medicine, Marriage and Money podcast, the only podcast for dual physician couples who want to achieve marital interdependence and financial freedom together. In this podcast, you will learn how to show up as the best version of yourself so that you can love intentionally and build a stronger and more financially savvy relationship with your spouse. And I am your host, a physician mom, a doctor's wife, and a life coach, Dr. Kate Mangona. Welcome and bienvenidos. Hi, I'm Dr. Aaron Wiseman, and I'm here today to talk about Physician Coaching Alliance, otherwise known as PCA. This is a space dedicated to providing stellar coaching for our colleagues so you can do your best work in the world. We believe that in order to change the culture of healthcare as we know it today, All physicians and others working in healthcare need access to coaching. So we can help you find a coach, become a coach, or join our community of coaches to strengthen the work that you're doing. One value that I want to mention that we share in PCA is community over competition. Because gone are the days that we see each other as enemy. Instead, we believe working together is the key to success of the individual and the whole. So if you're coaching curious or a coach yourself, come on over to PCA. We'd love to see you there. Please help me welcome our guest on today's show of Medicine, Marriage, and Money, Dr. Linda Street. Dr. Street is a board-certified maternal fetal medicine specialist, life coach, and speaker who focuses specifically on physician negotiations. She is the founder and CEO of Simply Street MD Negotiation Coaching, where she pairs her coaching tools. She is also the loving and supportive wife to a hairdresser and has two brave little boys ages five and eight. Today, she is here to talk about how negotiation negotiation skills can apply to your marriage and why conversation intelligence matters in your relationship. Welcome, Dr. Linda Street. Yes. Hello. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to come and chit chat about some of my favorite topics. (laughs) So yeah, first up, before we get into who you are, okay, before we get into who you are and what you're all about, can you just give us your definition of marital interdependence. Yes. And I'm a little ashamed to admit I had to Google this when I saw you were going to ask me this. I was like, let me Google this so I can tell you the right definition. Perfectionism at work. Oh my gosh. I don't know if anybody's actually done that. So yeah, what is the Google definition of marital interdependence? So we'll see how how well I can remember it. But basically it was self-sufficiency kind of choosing to enjoy each other in a relationship. So independent humans who are kind of by themselves functional, who also come together and enjoy each other's company. 
Okay. And yeah, we, I came up with that term when I was trying to figure out how to like coin, like talk about as being a successful marriage and not being dependent or independent, like too independent or too dependent on each other. Right. And, um, and my husband just came up with it. He's like, what about interdependence? I'm like, oh, okay. That has a nice ring. Um, but yeah, you're right. Like most people, we don't usually use that term. So I I think, I mean, I had to figure out what it meant to me. And I just like to ask everybody, you know, well, what makes a successful marriage to you? And to, and that could be different than the actual definition of marital interdependence. Sure. What, you know, what makes your marriage successful? Is it marital interdependence? Yeah, I mean, I think somewhat. We um, are both fiercely independent humans, um, which is really fun because he's like the very, very ex or introverted human, and I'm a very, very extroverted human. So we're like polar opposite independent humans. Uh huh. Um, and so I think for us, not trying to get rid of who we are as an individual and combine everything has been really helpful. Like. He loves to race cars, and I have zero interest in being outside in Georgia in the summer um, unless I'm in a pool. So he goes and does his car stuff and spends like hours and hours in the garage tinkering. I want nothing to do with it versus my jam is more – well, my, my pre-pandemic jam is more hanging out with people and having a lot of fun. He hates going to parties where there are lots of people because he's a very shy introvert. <laughs> So I just go by myself. Like I don't bring them. I go with friends and we hang out on things that we both like to do. Mm -hmm. And that works well. Once we stopped fighting, like me trying to make him like my things and him trying to make me like his things, it was magic how much easier things were. <laughs> how many, yeah. How many years did that take? Or when did you actually figure that out? Yeah. Um, probably a couple years into marriage. So we dated a really long time because we both had some commitment issues. Okay. So we dated for four years and then um, we've been married nine. And I'd say we figured it out over the last five years. So it took us almost a decade to get our act together. Ah, okay. So four years of dating and then and then several years of marriage too. Okay. No, that totally makes sense. I mean, I think that's kind of like one of the breaking points that people decide when they, if they want to get divorced around that at time too. And, and you figured it out, right? So you made it work. and Right. So tell us a little bit about you. You said you're from Georgia. What do you do in Georgia? A little bit about maybe your background, where you're from. Yeah. So I'm a maternal fetal uh, medicine subspecialist by day. I do life coaching on negotiations in specific, um, mostly female physician negotiations at night and weekends. And I'm currently in Georgia. We ended up here when I was in high school and it was the cheapest pathway to MD. So I was like, oh, you'll give me money. Okay, I'll stay. Um, oh, and then I met my husband in medical school. So he's local to the town where I trained and kept him from there. So I've stayed here, but I actually grew up an army brat. So I'm from a little bit of everywhere. Did you meet him in medical school or while you were going to medical school? Outside? Well, I was going to medical school. He okay. was beautiful. So he was my hairdresser when I was going to medical school. That's right. He just was your hair, happened to be your hairdresser and you guys fell in love or how did that happen? Tell us, tell us, how did you guys meet? <laughs> I was going to say, what is the rating on this podcast? Are we like PG, PG-13? <laughs> um, you, can, you can do whatever you want. I mean, I can click clean or, you know, whatever. <laughs> I post it. <laughs> yeah. So I was actually, I had what I call the young and dumb marriage. So I got married at like 21. Okay. We were married like five minutes. Um, got divorced because getting married was a bad idea to begin with very quickly. 
And you know how your hairdresser is kind of your therapist? Yes. So my husband was my hairdresser at the time. I had met him through one of my medical school classmates who always had the most fantastic hair. Don't judge me for my pandemic hair. It's because I'm lazy, not because he's bad. Um, but, uh, so I was sitting in the chair just venting about the destruction of my relationship and why it was such a mess and how all I wanted was a commitment-free fling to hang out, have some grown-up fun, and leave it there. And after like an hour, because I'm getting a cut in color, so it takes a little while. After like an hour of talking like this, I'm like, uh-huh. he's kind of cute. <laughs> So I had to feel him out and make sure, A, he was single, B, that he liked girls. Um, Uh And so I was like, I bet you your girlfriend hates that women talk to you like this all day because ever the manipulator. I'm also the fourth of five children. So manipulation and negotiation has like been indoctrinated in me since day one because my brothers are all bigger and stronger. So I had to be smarter. (laughs) It's all starting to make sense. Yeah. So I – um felt that out. And he was like, oh, I haven't been dating anybody in a while. I was like, hmm. So after being really inappropriate for about two hours um, and then deciding that he was good looking, I gave him my phone number, which he already had. I was a client. But I was like, you should call me tonight. (laughs) (laughs) And so we had a very commitment-free relationship. This is like my third year of medical school. And where I trained, there are a lot of like out-of-town rotations that you can do in like rural Georgia and stuff because the town doesn't have enough spots for the like 200 students they train every year to go and rotate on clinical things. So they farm you out to all these rural places. So I was going all over Tarnation. And when I was in town, we'd like hang out. When I wasn't in town, we didn't bug each other. It was beautiful. And it was never designed to be a long-term arrangement. And then eventually, like a couple years in, we're like, huh. I actually like you. <laughs> a couple years in. Wow. Yeah. I mean, we were probably, because I would have graduated. We were almost two years into dating when I graduated. And I was like, I'm going to residency. I'm going to go marry a doctor. Bye-bye. <laughs> Just kind of went off into my world. And like two months later, we decided, oh, maybe I do miss him. And he was like, oh, I miss her. And so we kind of reconnected. And I think after that, we decided like, oh, maybe this is actually a relationship. Wow. So were you dating other people like at the same time as you were kind of doing, hanging out off and on? Yeah, not a lot. Um, It was really just, I think, the independence of not feeling tethered. Okay. Right. Um, And I mean, I don't know. I've I've not asked him if he dated anybody else. I will not admit anything on the podcast. Um, But like, (laughs) there wasn't a lot. Like, mostly it was just that comfort, I think, in knowing that I didn't have to be committed because I was just coming out of a relationship. He was significantly older than I was. So he wasn't really looking for that mess. And um, I think we got tricked. And you were in med school. I mean, you were. Right. Okay. And then I was an OB intern. So <laughs> life didn't get less busy. Well, what, so what was it about him that you fell in love with? I think he's my polar opposite. So I am very life of the party, extroverted, um, all up in everybody's business all the time. And he is very like chill. He's like human Xanax, which I need. Wow. Okay. <laughs> so he's like the Ativan spritzer to my Red Bull. Human so Xanax. nicely. That is so funny because I call my husband um, a shot of espresso. <laughs> he's the caffeine <laughs> human xanax oh my gosh that is that's really special to have in your life i know it's great 
It's like a benzo minus withdrawal. (laughs) (laughs) And now you, so now that you've been married for nine years, right? You said nine years. Mm -hmm. How have your conversations between you and him changed since you were first dating or even that first year in marriage when you were still figuring it out? Right, right. And we, um, our first year or two of marriage was interesting and a little bit rocky because we had my son very quickly after we got married. Um, He was born in that next year. And I actually lived in the town I was doing residency in two hours away and he did not. So he stayed put and worked at the family business while I was in training. So he lived two hours away the first year of my son's life. So that was super fun. We like exchanged the baby versus via call schedules. Like we lived together, we lived together Sunday through Tuesday and then Wednesday through Saturday depended on whose call schedule as to who had the baby. Wow. (laughs) So that was interesting and obviously leads to some strain. Um, But once that was done, I made him move to fellowship. (laughs) I was like, we got to go. Like, I can't take this spot unless you come with me. Cause it was an extra two hours. It was four hours away from where he was. And it was another three years versus just like, okay, it's one year and we're done. And things got better. It was like, oh, this is so much better. It's nice not to be a single parent who's married. <laughs> you, you lived in the same place as you. Right. Right. And that made things a lot easier. Oh my gosh. Okay. So he was in, he, so he was a hairdresser for his family business. Mm-hmm. His dad owned the salon. Okay. And then what about now? So um, his dad has passed away. So he inherited the salon. He um, so You're back at, at the town, the same town? We're, we're back there. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, yeah. okay. So you moved closer together and then conversations, how did the conversations change once you were actually together instead of apart? Right. Right. I think some of it just, we got a better understanding of who we were as humans. Mm-hmm. Um, I matured a little bit. We we got together when I was 23, so I was still a baby. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think me, me calming down a little helped, <laughs> helped a little bit because patience is not my strong suit versus I was thinking of myself as like a firecracker. Like my fuse is really short, but I get really, really mad and then I'm fine is kind of my oh, default wow. setting okay. versus he's like the volcano. Like he just simmers and he simmers and he's good until he's not. And then it's like Mount St. Helens everywhere. and so it took me a long time to push his buttons um but when I did I was like oh okay (laughs) maybe that's not a good choice because where the firecracker just fizzles out Mount St. Helens makes destruction um and so I think the conversation shifted when I learned a little bit more about me having kind of ownership over my experience of everything and my portion of things instead of trying to control his. Like, I think once I figured out that it wasn't my job to control his experience and how he behaved, it was so much easier from there. Cause I was like, Oh, I can get really mad and passive aggressive that he didn't take out the trash or I can just take out the dang trash and not bend my whole night out of shape because I'm being ornery over the trash. Right. Yeah, exactly. Just ask him because he probably forgot. So did you did you like learn that? Did you have an epiphany at any certain moment, or just happen? Like when you said it, you had to learn it wasn't your job to control his experience. Right. So some of that was a transitional thing, I think, just out of time and maturity. And then when I did coach training back in 2018, that certainly some of those principles I was learning, I was like, oh, that mm-hmm. 
the and, name for that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Then you can put a name for like all those years of work that it took for you to figure it out kind of on your right. own. Right. And it cemented it a little better because I feel like once you have a name and a concept and an easy to use tool, all of a sudden it's like, oh, I can replicate that really well instead of it's just magic how it works sometimes. Yeah. yeah. Like, let's, like it, it happened. You have the result. But what was the formula? Can we replicate that? Right. Right. It's like science 101. (laughs) Now, would you call any of this conversational intelligence and negotiation or what are those specifically conversation intelligence and negotiation? And are those different? Do we have different definitions for those? Yes. So negotiation is simply a discussion with the goal of making an agreement. That's all it is. Um, I feel like in salary negotiations and things, we get all bent out of shape and make it so much more powerful and big than we need to. Um, In in a relationship, negotiations, like you feel like, oh, negotiate. There's this kind of connotation with it that there's a winner and a loser. Like it's a battle and we're going to see who wins. And I am like fiercely competitive. So it is really not good when my husband, who's my ally, is my counterpart in a mental battle. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think looking at it as more like, this is just a discussion where we want to agree. It's like, oh, okay, that's not so bad. Like, I do want to agree. That is my goal. (laughs) Like, we both can win in this. It's not a competition. And that's a lot of how I work with people with their salary negotiations, right? Like, it's not a competition. You want to have a good working relationship with this employer, and they want to have a good working relationship with you. Like, it's a relationship. It's not a battle. Got it. And then conversation intelligence is actually its own um, theory and science. It was designed by a sociologist named Judith Glacier. And it's basically kind of predicated on different language and different choices of words that we use activate different neuropathways. So some language takes us to a really high trust, high comfort place, and it's going to bring out really positive reactions where we're a team and we're co-creating and we're doing things together versus other language choice is going to make us feel like we have to protect ourselves. So it activates all those kind of primitive brain pathways where we go into fight or flight response and you're resisting and feeling like you need to be argumentative because it's life or death. You have to protect yourself according to your brain. That's when we become defensive, right? Right. Right. And then from that place, of course, you can't come up with good solutions because your brain is like in this blinder mode. You're like the horses that have the blinders and you can't see anything except for what's right in front of you versus if you're in that kind of higher trust co-creative place because the language selection has been respectful and nourishing, then you're going to be a lot more likely to come up with a solution that's mutually favorable. And I think it works in relationships the same way it would in a negotiation. Right. Now, this is brilliant. Okay. So the language section, the language selection, the words we choose. So when we're in an argument with our husband or our wife, because we have a disagreement on, I don't know, what would be a common disagreement on the way we parent our children or- That never comes up. (laughs) You know, the way we're disciplining or if we're allowing them to eat this or watch this. What kind of language- would be more beneficial for us to use to create that love, that co-creative experience. Right. So I think using more like, um, instead of using really judgmental language, using appreciative language. And so um, appreciative language is really just 
basically saying something to the effect of like, hey, look, we both love our kids. Like, I'd really, I'd really like to understand why this is why you're choosing to let them eat this. Or I'd like to understand why you're making these choices. Or, um, you know, certainly we both have the best interest of our child at hand. Like, how can we go about this in a way that we're both comfortable with? Right. Like instead of being judgy, like why on earth would you give him the Cheetos right before bed? Yeah. <laughs> right? mm-hmm. Why would you, why would you do that? Why did you leave him in timeout for five minutes when the pediatrician said it's one minute per age? He is three. <laughs> right. <laughs> like we can be really, really judgy when we get in that defense mode. Yeah. And so taking it from the judgment and defensive place to a like, look, we both want to make sure our child turns out not to end up in prison. So how can we approach this behavior in a way we both feel comfortable with? Like making Uh, it a problem to solve together. Focusing on the problem instead of just pointing your finger right away. Right. Which is not our default because I feel like culturally we've been socialized to um, being independent and being right. And being right is in and of itself like a super high addiction in Americans today. Like, we really like to be right. It feels good. It gives us dopamine hits. And then we get attached to that being right. And if you have two people who are attached to being right in a relationship who have opposite perspectives, it's a recipe for disaster. Oh my gosh. I never even thought of it as an addiction, being right as an addiction in our culture, which I can totally see that because we do have a culture right now where people want lots of- dichotomize it. Yes. Like there's a right and there's a wrong, mm-hmm. which oversimplifies the human experience. Clearly mm-hmm. that's not true. Like there's all sorts of different experiences. Yeah. And then, okay, so that's an example how we can use it in our marriage. Also, look, give us an example of like how you most commonly use it in the medical world. Uh, do you use this in medicine, but not necessarily just when you're like negotiating a contract or a salary or something like that? Yeah. I mean, I'm still full-time clinical or full, I'm full-time-ish. I work four days a week. Um, And so it's a negotiation with your patients, right? So I take care of high-risk pregnancies. And one of the things I do is initiate a lot of insulin in the third trimester. And these are people who have never been diabetic. And all of a sudden you're saying, and don't don't pass go, don't collect 200. By the way, I want you to inject yourself several times a day. Thanks. (laughs) Right? And it's a negotiation. There has to be some conversation back and forth because if I don't listen to why they have concerns and I just say, well, this is what's best. And I write them a prescription for insulin. Well, it's magic how the insulin doesn't work sitting in the bottle in the fridge Mm -hmm. or the insulin doesn't work sitting at the pharmacy because their insurance um, wouldn't cover that brand and they can't afford. I mean, that stuff is expensive. Um, I've been amazed at patients who've come back and I'm like, why are your sugars 300? And why didn't you call? And they're like, well, I went to pick up the insulin. It was $300. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They don't think about asking for generic or calling or call us back and we'll call in um, a different, a different brand or a different whatever. Um, And little things like that, obviously both of us have the goal of healthy baby, right? The mom obviously has that goal. She's not trying to be difficult, but 
that $300 for insulin or that kind of overcoming the barrier of they're deathly afraid of needles, you can't ignore that as part of the overall discussion. Otherwise, she's never going to take the insulin and maybe she is better off with like a second line treatment like metformin because it's a pill and maybe it's not as good. Maybe it's fine like because mm-hmm. not as good might be better than nothing. Mm-hmm. And so I think we have these these conversations and treating our patients like partners, kind of going into that like high trust co-creative place instead of that very dichotomous, I'm right, you're wrong, do it my way. Because yeah. it doesn't bring us very far. Exactly. Even though, yeah, I know a lot of doctors uh, or, or, you know, even me sometimes it's like, well, I know what's right. We've, we've trained for so long. Like, why can't they just... But they have an opinion too, and they have their own mind and their mindset, and we have to get on their their level, you know, the play, level playing field. Like we're both humans, right? We can both be smart and uh, play together. We just want what's best for them at the end of the day, right? For them right. and their baby. Okay, so and then and then what about motherhood? Because <laughs> oh my gosh, this is my hardest. This is my hardest place is motherhood, especially with my three and a half year old right now, you know, going on 30 year old and (laughs) she's the most defiant ever, ever. She hates rules. I mean, I, 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 she gets that from me. I know. Um, but I, how do you get on, how do you do this with her? What is this conversational intelligence I can use with my three and a half year old? So my disclaimer, because I have a five-year-old who is my clone and therefore very defiant and hard-headed. Um, so I live in your house, but different. But um, <laughs> I think the one thing to keep in mind with children is they are not rational. So you just have to leave that there. <laughs> They're not rational. That being said, it's kind of, it reminds me of the like, you're going to catch more flies with honey than with vinegar, right? So I think kids respond. They're smarter than we think they are. They respond really well to being included in the conversation. They're easier to manipulate than adults usually. So that's a benefit. But I think just instead of saying, no, this is the rule, you can't do that. Like inquiring, like, well, so why do you want to do that? What do you think is going to happen if you do that? Right. And kind of letting them come to the conclusion that it's a bad idea. Um, that's lovely if it works. Sometimes they're like, well, cause it's fun. Of course it's a good idea. If I have a broken arm, I'll get a cool cast and all my classmates will sign it. <laughs> and you're like, yeah, I don't think that's quite as glamorous as you think, but, um, okay. <laughs> so I think certainly that doesn't work, but really kind of being inclusive of like them in the decision-making process. Mm-hmm. So like, okay, this is what you want to do. Maybe we can do it a little bit your way this time and a little bit my way or just kind of negotiating back and forth like, or what, what would you like to do? Or kind of um, one thing that I think of is like school and uniforms, like my kids have uniforms and we actually keep them in a separate dresser so that they don't even see their regular clothes that morning when they're getting their clothes. Because oh. if they see their regular clothes, they fight me on wearing the uniform. But if they only see the uniform, they feel like they get to pick which color today. So okay. separate dressers. <laughs> and the negotiation. Yes, um, out, of, out of mind. <laughs> right, right. But I think just like negotiating with them, like, okay, either this or this works, but these choices, they're not available right now. And just kind of including them so they feel like they're getting a say, so it's not so dictatorship. 
Mm-hmm. Right. Cause then they're going to trust like, okay, she's including me. I've got a couple choices versus kind of like, Ugh, she's telling me how to do this. Right. Right. Choices. Celebrating. I, right. Yeah. I think that's what my mom was an elementary, elementary school teacher. So she always gave me choices, this or that. And so like, I find myself doing that and it's, yeah, it's when I get super frustrated and I just can't handle it that I'm just like, no, this way. And then, you know, all hell breaks loose. <laughs> we can't do it. So much worse. Yes. Oh my gosh, so much worse. I know I've got to stay in that fun place. Like keep it fun, give them choices, make it really silly. And sometimes I just can't. So that's when I, I have to like put myself in timeout. But yeah, I totally agree with the the choices here. Um, how have these, so, okay, let's, and let's go back to like, you mainly help your clients with, um, with like negotiating medical contracts. Is that mm-hmm. what you, okay. Yeah, with their salary contracts, their okay. agreements. You're talking mm-hmm. a lot about money. So you must be comfortable talking about money, right? I love money. Okay. So tell me, tell me some of your favorite things to talk about when, when it comes to money or like when, cause people must come to you with a lot of different types of mindsets, scarcity mindset when it comes to money, or maybe thinking they can't earn, you know, a certain, you know, like, so what, how do you help them? What kind of things do you see and how do you help, help them through this? Yeah. I think one of the biggest things that comes up for female physicians is this, like, I'm greedy, right? Like if I ask for more money, I'm greedy because I really just want to help people. And it's like, it's wonderful that you want to help people, but if you feel undervalued, I like to shift it to value more than like dollar amounts, because I think at a conceptual level, that's easier to swallow. So it's a good way to kind of inch in. But like, if you feel undervalued in your job, and I always use the example, I'm like, okay, so say you just accept this contract as is, and six months down the road, they hire a new partner. And you find out they're making 30000 more than you because they negotiated. How are you going to feel? Right? Like you're going to feel undervalued. And if you're undervalued, are you showing up for your patients in the same way you would if you were feeling valued at your workplace? Mm-hmm. And most people who are honest with themselves will say no. And so it's not about a specific number. I mean, I'm a negotiation coach and my salary is the 50th percentile. Um, but I work the schedule I want to work. If my child's sick, I can stay at home and do telemed into my like physical office and they make accommodations for that. Mm. If I need to adjust things last minute, I'm able to, there's just a lot of flexibility with the job. And that to me is really, really valuable. They also kind of leave me alone and let me do my thing, which is really valuable to me because I'm a grower creator. And so I like to have some of that autonomy, even if it's like, it within, I mean, it's within the context of a bubble, but the bubble feels wide enough for me to have room to breathe. Mm-hmm. And so by allowing me those things, that has so much value to me that the 50th percentile is fine. Got it. Yeah. So it's not just your salary. It's everything else that comes with it too. You can it's the feeling it. valued. Right. And so I think when you kind of put it in that context, it's a lot easier to swallow and it's a lot easier to shift to, of course, I want to feel valued. Mm-hmm. Right. It kind of goes through some of those cultural beliefs of I can't talk about money or I can't ask for more money or I'm being greedy. Right. Or um, the other thing I hear is really about like the social capital costs of women negotiating, which is unfortunately we live in a patriarchal society where there are different costs to men and women as far as perception and social capital with negotiation. 
And I think really approaching it from a place of this is the value I'm offering and I need to be compensated for that value is a whole lot. Um, and I, I hate a little bit that we have to play these games, but I also live in reality, so it is what it is. But I think that's a whole lot more palatable from a social capital standpoint too. Mm -hmm. And so that helps kind of open the conversation. And if you think about it, I mean, money is really about value exchange. Like I don't really care how many dollars are in my bank. I care about the value that those dollars can buy me. Right. Yeah. They can buy you your time, freedom, freedom. A house, a swimming pool in Georgia, right? Like somebody to clean my house. So I don't have to like all these things that I exchange the money for. And so when I look at it as like, Hey, if I earn this much more, I can have somebody else do all these things for me and I can buy back my time so that I can make a chunky knit blanket on a Saturday. That was my task this Saturday. Um, I can hang out with my kids. I can go somewhere on a trip, right? Like when you start thinking about the value the money can get you, I think it's just more tangible. Right. Yeah. Cause then you're not focused on the dollar amount and you feel less, you're like, well, yeah, these things would be nice to have. And I, yeah, would I would feel more comfortable in life and then be happier at work and happier at home. Right, right. Because I always joke that people feel like, oh, it's so uncomfortable to negotiate. Even if that's true, I mean, I think it's totally fun, but I know I'm unusual. <laughs> but <laughs> even if that's true, it's not, it's not like you're exchanging comfort and discomfort. And this is true in relationships too. Like when you're having a difficult conversation and it may be hard to approach, you're not exchanging that discomfort to have the conversation with the option of comfort. You're exchanging the discomfort of having the conversation with the option of being uncomfortable that you didn't. Oh, oh yeah. Okay. Repeat that again. Repeat that again. That was a good right. one. So you're exchanging the discomfort of having the conversation for the discomfort of wishing you had or not having had the conversation. Right. Right. Because think about it, like in, in, in a relationship setting, if you really, really want your spouse to do something and it's really important to you that he does or she does, if you don't approach it because you're like, oh, this is going to be a really hard conversation. I don't want to fight. I don't want to have that conversation. You feel like you're avoiding that discomfort. But then the next week, the next month, it's still there lingering. Like you still have that weight on your shoulders of this is really important to me and I haven't brought it up and I should and I shouldn't. Like that tug of war is continuing to go on in the background and that builds up over time. Yeah. yeah it's like, what is the silence costing you? Being right. silent. You're uncomfortable. The conversation would be uncomfortable, but it's a lot more uncomfortable without that conversation. Right. Avoiding that temporary discomfort. Yeah, exactly. Right. But we lie to ourselves and we say, oh, if I don't have that conversation, it'll be so much easier. I won't rock the boat. It'll be so much more comfortable. It'll be so much smoother. Like, I don't want to make them upset. I don't want to make her upset. Like, it's just better if I don't. Like, we tell ourselves that nonsense. Yeah, yeah. And so, like, has this helped you in your own relationship, in your own marriage, being able to talk about money? Or has that ever been an issue at all? Yeah, I think money hasn't really been a huge issue because I'm – very comfortable with self-advocacy. It's just, I'm a, I'm a filterless individual. Like what you see is kind of what you get 99% of the time. Um, so it's not specifically been as much of an issue, but I think just 
like other things like, hey, I know I don't make you go to parties most of the time because you don't like them, but this wedding's really important because it's my cousin and everybody else's husbands are going to be there. Would you mind going for a couple hours? Okay. Right? Or things like that. So I think it makes those conversations easier. Got it. Okay. And then what about um, you working? Okay. So you're like, you work four days a week and you also will do your coaching on weekends and weeknights. Mm -hmm. How guys talk about that and because then you have two young children mm-hmm. so, so <laughs> how, does, how does that work it's a game it's a tug of war so I think a lot of it's just um we're both fairly comfortable single parenting okay. so a lot of times it's just kind of like I'm single parenting now you're single parenting later and it helps that he has a hobby that takes up about as much time as my side business does wow. so he has a Volkswagen that is a race car, and he spends enough time in the garage or going to races or doing things like that. So for every time he's gone at a race for 48 hours and I have the kids by myself, I'm speaking at a conference or doing something else. And so I feel like because I'm pretty comfortable allowing him to pursue his interests and have his time that's just him time, he's pretty comfortable letting me do the same. I think the difference is just my hobby is a business. <laughs> Your hobbies and business. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's beautiful. Okay. So, yeah, you have completely different interests and you just allow each other to cover the children when you're each doing that. And then, wh- how do you guys like, do you go on dates or how do you guys invest in your own relationship? Right. Uh, so, Especially that's a little now. trickier. <laughs> I was going to say that's a little trickier now. <laughs> Although I live in Georgia. Well, you live in Texas. So, things are um, a lot more wide open than other places. Everything's back to normal, you know? No. <laughs> He's getting vaccinated on Thursday, so he's finally eligible. I'm super excited. I'll feel much better when that happens. Um, But I think really just scheduling time is helpful. Before the pandemic, we had like a standing Thursday date um, for the most part. I spent a year burning a non-compete, so I was in and out of town every other week. So I was doing locums one week, home one week, locums one week, home one week. So that made things really interesting. Um, But... Aside from that one brief year of our lives, really, we just had like a scheduled date night. Like it has to be planned and scheduled and deliberate because we're so independent that I think left to our own devices, we just live parallel lives crossing each other every once in a while. Um, So it has to be very deliberate for us. Yes. So we had like a planned babysitter and all those things. That's gotten a little trickier with the pandemic. We have started, now that my mother-in-law is vaccinated, we have started, my kids are big enough that they can spend the night over there for every other weekend. So every other weekend they spend a night at grandma's. And so then we can have like uninterrupted time to hang out with each other for 24 hours. A whole weekend, every other, a whole weekend. Well, it's like Saturday night. So it's like 24 hours, but still, I mean, there's something beautiful about not putting kids to bed. You just go, oh my gosh. Yes. Are you kidding me? It's just like come over for an hour and put my kids to bed. And that frees up like five hours of my mental yes. space. <laughs> yes. The um, Right before we started, my five-year-old walked down here. I'm like, it is nine o'clock at night. Get up to bed. I'm like, go. And so just having someone else put them to sleep. I mean, I think that right there is priceless. And it just took a little while because my mother-in-law is in her 80s. And so they they had to be big enough that it was feasible. And certainly the pandemic threw a monkey wrench in that because I was like, we are not killing grandma. Um, grandma started going to Cracker Barrel. So then I was like, well, grandma's going to Cracker Barrel anyway. But, um, <laughs> you know, so um, 
But that has made a huge difference. It's just like every other weekend, they go hang out with grandma for 24 hours and be adult humans who don't have to be parents. (laughs) How far away does she live? She's about a half hour. Okay. That was not far. Yeah, we're trying to – we are trying to convince my in-laws to move down here from Detroit. Maybe someday. I mean, because we have a third. We have a third on the way. So I actually – I'm seeing an MFM because now that, you know, I'm of age, I'm seasoned. (laughs) But yeah, okay. Well, that's perfect, Linda. Now, are there any big take-home points in regards to medicine, marriage, money, negotiation, anything that we've already covered or haven't or anything you want to emphasize? Yeah. I mean, I think – Part of it is really looking at the person you're having a conversation with as a human who wants like your best interests too. I don't think it has to be mutually exclusive. So I think that looking at it as we both want this similar goal, how do we achieve it together instead of there has to be a winner and a loser. And it goes a little bit of against of how, how we're raised and how our brains work. I feel like I can't remember a time when I wasn't competing for something. And medical training makes this worse. Like you're competing for a spot in medical school. You're competing for that residency spot. You're competing for the uber competitive fellowship. So there's so much competition all along the way that we forget that there can be a place where everybody everybody is going for the same goal and we're on a team. So let's work together. We're on a team. Like we all have the same goal to treat our patients to have better better health care, you know, to become better doctors. I, I honestly, I really like that. After I got out of fellowship, it's like, it's really not a competition anymore. I mean, certain people choose to think it is like getting promotion and all that kind of thing. But like, no, I, I, I'm choosing to think it's not. So we have the same goal. Perfect. Well, where can people find you? Yes. So I'm at simplystreetmd.com is my website. I have a podcast as well, so it's simply worth it. And we'll have Kate on soon. I'm excited. And I'm on Facebook. If you're a female physician, we have a Facebook group called Negotiate Her. And so if you look that up, we talk about all things negotiations and contracts and salaries and all the fun nitty gritty of making sure you're paid your worth. Negotiate Her. Now, is that just for physicians or is it open to... So that one is just female physicians. Female physicians. Okay, got it. Okay, perfect. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Street, for sharing your evening with me to record this. Yes, it was so much fun. Thank you so much for having me. Okay, perfect. What an amazing episode with Dr. Linda Street. Thank you so much for coming on my show. And let's get into the big take-home points from... Dr. Linda Street's interview. Oh, beautiful. Number one, negotiation. Negotiation does not have a winner and a loser. Negotiation is having a conversation and agree and coming to a common goal, a common agreement, especially in marriage. When we negotiate, when we have conversations, when we're trying to discuss whether to do this or to, the, to do that, whether to travel here or travel there, take the trash out on Monday or Tuesday or parent this way, eat this or eat that. We want to agree why we all have the same goals to be healthy, to have a clean house, to keep our kids out of, out of jail, right? I think that's what Dr. Street said. That's what we want when we're married and we have the same values and goals. So why would we want our spouse to lose? 
why would we want to put them down? Why would we want to be judgmental and question their ideas or make them, or, or, or why would we want them to feel like they could not trust us or share their ideas with us? Let's be on the, a level playing field. We are both teammates as a spouse, as spouses under the same roof. So questioning their actions is a great way to foster a judgmental environment where we want to create a, create a co-creative trusting space. Negotiation has two winners. You and me, your spouse and yourself. Number two, language selection is so important. So important in our conversations. Appreciative over judgmental. How could you say this? I really want to understand why. Or how can we parent in a way that we are both happy? Or how can we make this decision Dr. Street brings up a great point that we actually have been culturally kind of conditioned to want to be right all the time. It's like an addiction. We have this addiction to be right. Is that an addiction that you have? Because I think as a woman physician, I definitely have it. <laughs> so let's just be aware. Number three. Negotiating with our patients or even our children. So let's start with patients. How do we do that? Well, we often just kind of tell them what to do. Tell them, hey, I'm going to prescribe you this medication. I want you to do this, 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 and that. Exercise, lose weight, whatever. How, how does that, that's, that's not listening to their concerns. So we both have the same goal, right? We both want them to be healthy. We as the doctor want them to be healthy and them as the patient, I'm sure, are coming to the doctor because they don't want to be ill. They don't want to be sick. They want a healthy body, mind, spirit. So why won't they take our medication? Why don't they follow our advice? Well, this is when we have to get curious as physicians. We have the same goals. So let's find out why. Sometimes it may be the cost. Sometimes the availability, wherever they're living, what pharmacy they're going to. Maybe they're not following our advice because of some cultural differences we're not aware of. Maybe they just need a bit more education on the topic and they don't understand a word you used or they don't understand the meaning of behind the order. So let's get curious. Negotiate with our patients in a way that causes health. Healthy, happy, and educated patients. And that's it. That's it, guys. I mean, I, I learned so much. Those are my big take-home points from Dr. Street. If you learned anything, please share this episode with a friend. Negotiation is something that we do all the time, all the time in our lives, at work, at home, with our spouse, with our children, with our friends. We're all talking and sometimes find ourselves debating and maybe even getting defensive and wanting to be right. So this is such an important conversation. Share it with your friend. Share it with your mom, your dad, your coworker. Not because you think they have stuff to work on. I, because you have stuff to work on. Like, hey, listen to this episode with Dr. Street and Dr. Mangona. It was so fabulous. I learned so much. <laughs> I think you may learn something too. 
And of course, if you want to leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts, so much appreciated. Thank you. Thank you so much. Don't forget to download my free copy of the Medical Marriage Survival Guide and Instruction Manual for Physicians in Love. I created that for you. And if you don't have it yet, go get it. It's on my website, medicinemarriageandmoney.com. And there's a link provided in the show notes. And I hope you walk away asking yourself, who is my human Xanax? Am I addicted to being right? How can I approach my next conversation with language that creates a higher trust? How can I foster conversational intelligence amongst my children, spouse, and coworkers? And that is it, my friends. Go fly away, be free, spread happiness and positivity into this world. Dance like everyone is watching because we all want to watch you dance and smile like no one is watching just because you want to smile and be happy with your own self, your own human self. And um, I'm just going to give another shout out to Dr. Linda Street. You can find her at simplystreetmd.com. And if you're not already in my Facebook group and you're a physician, join it, Medicine, Marriage, and Money, my husband's 39.6 community if you like the finance and the money aspects the best. And I will see you soon. Oh, and if you're still listening, you probably noticed this podcast was recorded several months ago when I was still pregnant. Now my baby's actually one month old. Oh my gosh, my dear Isla's one month old. And you are listening to this while I am in Kansas City because I have escaped reality of Dallas. I'm pausing my Dallas life. And um, so that's, <laughs> that's where I am. Stay safe. Everyone, please get vaccinated. Encourage vaccinations. And... Uh, mask wearing, social distancing. This is a time I don't know where you're living, but where I'm living, there is another surge happening and I'm trying to educate as many people as I can. So if you're still listening, thank you. Thank you. I love you so much. So, so sweet of you. And we will see you next week. The content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional, medical, or financial advice. The opinions provided on this podcast are those of myself or the invited guest alone. They do not represent the opinions of any particular institution. Always seek the advice of your physician or financial advisor with any questions you may have of a medical condition or financial plan. This is for your entertainment only.